8.30 start tonight for Thunder at San Antonio. You know tomorrow the headline is going to be, insert name here will have a better career than the other. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Between yes. Wimby and Chet and whichever guy plays better. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm, I'm sure ESPN has been ramping up this since probably this weekend. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to see. Can't wait to see what Mad Dog has to say about this. Well, they were promoting the heck out of it last (laughs) night. So, (laughs) yes, they were. Yes, they were on their network. Uh Clearly, clearly, Chet's gonna have the much better career, right? He outscored Wimby by two points tonight. Had an extra rebound. Listen, I'm here to tell (laughs) you right now that if you were to drop uh, Wimby. In with that group that Chet has around him right now. Um, Holy cow. Yes. Holy cow would be the way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I've come I, a long way in a short amount of time. I'm, I'm telling no you, man. Supporting cast. I'm telling you, go and look at the raw numbers on it, and it is remarkable, absolutely remarkable, what that kid is doing, averaging. 24 minutes a game. (laughs) It's incredible. It's with no one else there. With no one else there at all. I'm uh, I'm already looking forward to next year's NBA draft where the Spurs could have two picks inside the top seven. So let's go. Yeah, and they don't even need superstars, right? Just something that is serviceable. That's right. That's right. My goodness. You're one for the process. Well, it's year seven in the process at Oklahoma Jeez. State. Yes, it is, isn't it? And uh, may not seem like it. It's, it's an zero and six start in conference play. And last night's game, it just you know, it's it's finding different ways, right? They lead by I think as many as sixteen in the first half. Seventeen. Was it seventeen? Okay, yeah, 17. seventeen. I mean, big lead. Felt like, okay, here we go. This is, you're catching a team, hasn't been playing well. You're back on your home floor. Got the good start, good energy. Everything you could ask for. And then once again, it all crumbles apart. Holy cow. Almost in the exact same way. How many times can we come in here and repeat the exact same thing over and over and over again? Only this time, the only difference was a 17-point lead. It's almost getting worse. A 17-point lead. Holcomb told us the last two days, something weird about TCU when they come into the building, no matter what level that they're playing at, they have really rough starts in Stillwater. And last night was another prime example of that. And yet Oklahoma State found a way to Oklahoma State it up. Uh, Just another in a long line of games where they go on significant scoring droughts that Um, they aren't able to overcome. Almost six minutes, 557, ironically, at the end of the first half and the end of the second half. Scoreless droughts. Yes. They they had two made field goals in the final ten minutes of the game, fellas. That's it. Two made field goals total in the final ten minutes of the game. So I went back through... Because I saw this question asked on Twitter, and I didn't have all the time to go over every game that they played so far, but the question was, does anyone have a stat on whether or not that we, being Oklahoma State, lead the country in five-plus-minute stretches of scoreless basketball? (laughs) So I said, you know what, I'll take on that challenge, Uh, only I only did it (laughs) 
I only did it through conference games, okay? Okay. Um, so I went back, the Baylor performance. The thing that's, before I even get into the five-minute droughts that Oklahoma State has had, I will say that I almost think it's unfair, and I may tonight and tomorrow go back and readjust this and do the four-minute stretch of not scoring because, to me, there would be no question, no question at all, that Oklahoma State might double up number two in the country whoever has the most four-minute droughts. Well, it that's is, the way you should be doing it anyway because of the, the timeout You're probably right? right. You're probably right. And I will go and, and, and readjust that. And I, you know what? I would even have to do non-conference. I could just do conference play, and they would probably have uh, almost a full game a full game. You already right now of five minute droughts, almost already have a full half of scoreless basketball just in conference play with five minute droughts. Okay, more is on that, that in a bit. Is scoreless like not even free throws? This is scoreless. I'm not talking field goals. Holy now, if, cow! Now if you that's want, even worse. if you want me to go back and do no field goal stretches, oh, I'd be more than happy to do that. But please give me a week. Yeah, Please give me a week forever. to be able to tabulate all that because it's bad. It's it's really bad. So, uh, Baylor. During the Baylor game, they it's not completely over the top with long five-minute stretches of, of not scoring field goals, but they do have several in there of one that's like four four minutes something and another one that's like two. So combined, like it's it's getting close. But towards the uh in, in a stretch of the Baylor game, they had a seven minute and twenty six minute stretch where they had two field goals. Right. And they're they're placed almost strategically that just kind of clips them from not having a five minute stretch where they have nothing. In the Texas Tech game they had a five-minute and seven-second stretch where they were absolutely scoreless. They had a stretch in seven minutes and one second where they had two field goals, and that was it. Just narrowly, again, clipping off an opportunity for them to have two separate segments of five-minute droughts in that game. The Iowa State game, they had... Uh, a little over four minutes of a stretch, 4.15, so again, right underneath the five-minute mark where they didn't score. And in eight minutes and 23 seconds in a segment in that game, they had two field goals. That was it. KU and Kansas State, not too shabby. They got blown. They got the doors blown off against KU, but they were still finding moments where there wasn't a significant stretch where they just couldn't score. Kansas State, kind of the same thing, but TCU last night, my God, man, my freaking God. Uh, a 558 stretch where there was an absolutely nothing. They have a 506 scoring stretch there where there was absolutely nothing included in that. So if you were to add up all these so far of just conference play of five plus minutes, we're looking at almost 17 full minutes of scoreless basketball, which is almost an entire half. If you were to take just off the top of my head, the four minute stretches where they didn't score, uh, dude, I'm almost willing to bet that we're probably about four to maybe six minutes shy of a full game of scoreless stretches that they've had just in conference play so far. That's how bad it's been. And we're six games in. And there's six games in. 
They're six games in. I went and looked at Ken Palm. Ken Palm, when I looked at it earlier this morning, wasn't adjusted for the games that were played last night so that we were still dealing with the 22nd. In uh, adjusted offensive per 100, they're 167th in the country. 167th. You know, the sad thing is I might have guessed lower. I was kind of shocked that they weren't in the 200 range, if I'm just being honest. I haven't checked since they've updated, and I don't know how often that Kim Palm updates. Maybe I'll do that here during the break. But uh, they, they'd have to go lower from last night after last night's performance. But, yeah, man, there's so many stretches, dude. So many. Six, seven, eight minutes here where they have a free throw, two free throws, maybe one field goal, and that's it. It's remarkable going through the play-by-play on just their conference games. And and that took me long enough. Like, I didn't – I wanted to do three or four non-conference games. I was just like, man, I'm going to run out of time with everything else right. that I need to do today. Yeah, that's, that's a giant undertaking. But, I mean, the offense is such a travesty. I don't know what the – like, I don't know how you fix it, right? I yeah, Well, I don't either. I don't either. And it's little things with them, too. Like, have they shot from the free throw line? Have they shot above, like, 73 75% the entire time that Mike Boynton has been there? Have they? they no, they've not. I mean, Like, consistently? Not consistently. There's no way. You talking as a team? As a team. They're terrible at shooting free throws and have been They've since had day some, one. I mean, those, those Lindy Waters teams, they had they may be close I, without looking. I don't know. Man. There's, there's a lot of that that when you ask the question, like, can they fix it? Well, clearly they can't fix it this year, but it's starting to become, like, not even like a talent problem. Like, to me, there are ways to improve free throw shooting over the course of seven years, and there hasn't been any any type of drastic improvement at all. Like, we can we can say that they don't have great shot makers on this team, right? Which I think is accurate. Mm-hmm. There aren't great shot makers on this team, which obviously is, is going to make your offensive numbers suffer. But they're, it doesn't feel like they're doing anything to, you know, help that situation out. There doesn't seem to be, I mean, not only do you not have, have great shot makers, but it feels like there's very little chemistry, right? Like the, the really good teams have a sense for what all five guys on the floor are doing, right? And, and they, they just kind of have that ability to communicate with each other without even communicating. And Oklahoma State has none of that. It never appears that they get very many good or easy shots. No. Right? So turnovers are an issue, not having great shot makers, not getting easy shots offensively, and then the complete lack of of any sort of team chemistry offensively is mind-blowing. Like, they look like five guys that have never played basketball together. You know, Mike Boynton had a comment last night talking about the process of learning how to finish games. I'm. You guys have heard me say that a lot. Teams have to learn how to win. They do. They have to learn how to close out games. This, to me, though, (laughs) I think trying to place this on them in this scenario doesn't necessarily apply. To me, 
the learning how to close out and win basketball games would more apply to what happened previously on Saturday up at Kansas State. Not not necessarily with this one. Because, yes, of course, you had a 17-point lead in the first half. There's a whole hell of a lot of basketball to go. Like, this is just, this is different from learning how to close out a game. Yeah, and that was cut to what, four at halftime? Yes. I mean, yeah, you, you had issues way before the closing out of the game point. I mean, who on this roster, if you needed a shot in the clutch, who would you want? Bryce? Bryce Thompson. That's the first. I mean, yeah. but even that's Absolutely. not a given. Absolutely. Right. But that's what I mean. There's not a there's not great shot makers on this team. And then you just make that, I think, an even bigger issue by not having any sort of offensive fluidity. Right? There's nothing on that end that ever looks easy. There's there's never good ball movement well, that creates good shots. Couldn't you also make make the point that just from what we've seen from them, five turnovers last night. Uh, they actually shot it halfway decent from downtown, and that which is drastically I mean, different. Overall, than what that we've was seen. one of the better offensive performances. Yeah, from a from a numbers perspective, right, it right. it one hundred percent is. But at the end of the day, it's still the exact same result on on what's going on. I mean. Someone needs to go as like I went back through and tried to add up the five plus minute stretches where they haven't scored. Can someone go and look real quick and find out how much that they've been outscored in the paint just in conference play? <laughs> because it's got to be something that is almost maybe as just as concerning as the five minute stretches where they can't score. Well, they're already minus 26 just from last night. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean that that once again speaks to not getting easy buckets. Oh, right? here we go. I got it right here. Okay. 262 to 136 in the paint in in league games. 262 to 136 to 136 in league games. <laughs> that is on average losing the paint scoring by 21 a game. <laughs> yes. So not that far off from last night, basically. Yeah, that, so last night's about average. That's incredible, isn't it? You gotta, you, I mean, you gotta find ways to get easier buckets. You don't have great shot makers. I don't think they can, though. I don't think that they, they, I don't think that they can get easier buckets. That's part of their problem. Well, I. I don't. I, I genuinely watch them play offense most of the time, and I have no idea what they're trying to do. <laughs> mm. Well, you're not the only one. <laughs> I can say that. There's probably a whole lot of people that wear orange on a regular basis that feel the same way that you do. Um, I, I saw this from uh, Pistols Firing. You know, you asked the question on Factor Fiction yesterday right here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app. Fact or fiction, Oklahoma State would win four conference games this year. So Ken Palm has given OSU about a 50-50 chance to win one game. On one its game? On its remaining schedule. 50-50 chance to win one game on its remaining schedule. Do you know who that is? It's got to be West Virginia. West Virginia. This Saturday, West Virginia. I mean, I, I thought before the season, before conference play started, West Virginia at home 
was the easiest game on their conference schedule. Uh, playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? You kidding me? Yeah. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Man. Just hope we can win a game. Yeah, Ken Palm, OSU, 66% chance to beat West Virginia. And aside from there, it gives them a 40% chance to win at home against Kansas State and a 42% chance at home against UCF. Yeah, the UCF game's, in my mind, the next most winnable. And I, I, I like, I, you look at the road games. They're not going to go. It feels like they're going to they? have to. They're going to have to find a miracle to win any of the road games. They're not going to go over, right? Come on. No, they'll win a game somewhere. Yeah, but what's the difference at this point between zero and eighteen and and two and sixteen? Is there? I mean, I. I mean, you don't have the over. <laughs> okay, all right. Outside of the obvious. Not much. Not much. <clears throat> when the rest of the conference, despite what records might look like, that's what I'm feels getting like by they're that. In such a better place. That's what I'm getting by that. Yeah. Is that, of course, it's better than over, but in comparison to what the more than likely the rest of the league is going to look like, not great. Not great. They just feel like they're so far behind everyone else in the league. They might get a win or two. I mean, maybe maybe they're able to capture magic for a couple weeks and, and put together, you know, three or four, maybe five, but... When you watch all the other teams play in this league and then you watch Oklahoma State play, it feels like they are way behind the race. You know, even throwing the record aside. You know, I'm often in this in this time frame that we're in with fundraising for everything, NIL deals, uh, relying on your on your fans and your alumni more than ever before when it comes to trying to help get a foot forward. And this is probably just a philosophical question when it comes to fans donating or feeling like that they need to do something to try to help. Are you more apt to help in this scenario or are you more apt to help when you're actually doing well? Because I don't know. I think it depends on the state of the program overall. If the program's in a much better position and then it starts to dip you're probably more inclined to dig into the pockets. But, I mean, we've now reached a point where... But what if you're like Missouri football, where they're like, okay, we've had like a few fleeting moments here and there, but, yeah. man, we really got to step up, and and this is, our, this is our shot, right? This is our shot to become something. Because, you know, you got schools like Arizona moving into the league. <laughs> <laughs> that are, it's it doesn't yes of course you're losing Texas and Oklahoma and who knows what what level of consistency that we're talking about with both of those schools when it comes to basketball but um, yeah it's not like you got it you're inviting Middle Tennessee State into the league next year either I think we're if it, basketball for some reason remove the NCAA tournament. What would the average college basketball fan 
like how how much would their interest disappear? Oh, if you just were to take away the NCAA tournament. If yeah, if you take, took away the NCAA tournament and maybe you just changed it to some you know random postseason structure, I think that because the tournament is arguably the best thing in sports, it keeps people around. But I I just don't think that average college basketball fans in twenty twenty four now support the sport the same way that they used to. Uh, probably not. I think that there are always pockets that that probably still do in in certain areas but yeah for the most part i think you're probably onto something there but the average fan yeah average fan yeah average of course fan, i just i, I yeah. don't get the sense that they are nearly as dialed into college basketball and look in this state obviously we you know we see it regularly at, at the lloyd noble center and at gallagher Ive arena and the lack of attendance and obviously the thunder is a major part of that equation and since the Thunder got here, we've seen attendance numbers drop. But I, I, college basketball in general, I just don't think is moving the needle the same way that it, it once did. And college football has dwarfed every other college athletics program that that is the primary focus on almost every campus in the country. And then at certain schools, and we've seen this like at OU with softball, right? And, and Oklahoma State certainly for a long period of time – has had a bunch of really successful programs outside of just the major programs. And and so between your massive focus on college football and maybe the shifting interest to some of the other sports that are out there that have grown, I just, yeah, college basketball has just taken, I think, a giant hit for just your average fan. Again, diehards are diehards, but that's just my perception of, I always... of what I think average college basketball fans have have gone what i am talking about like more apt to help, oh excuse me more apt to help from an nil perspective with so much being put on fans and i i mean just and what i mean by that i mean just look what happened today with with oklahoma with their crimson and cream nil you know they they just put out a two million dollar membership challenge you know, and we, we have these stories all the time about coaches going up to podiums and asking for more money and doing this. And Boyden has done that, right? Boyden has has championed that when he's had a microphone in front of his uh, in front of his face here in the past. So you're asking more and more, and it's it's yeah. got to be always awkward for an athletic department for when you have one of your flagship sports and. For the most part, the majority across the country, the flagship sports are men's basketball and men's football. Well, football. Um, even though they are playing flag football, because I watched the documentary on Steve Young's daughters absolutely dominating the Bay Area in flag football. Um, but football and, and men's basketball. And what that is like now when one of those is struggling especially for a school that's trying to keep up with a certain amount of NIL. How much of an impact does it have? You know, does it, does it send ripple effects across the entire athletic department? You know, what, what type of message is that sending? And those are probably more questions for athletic directors and also the people that are in charge of NILs and collectives and, and uh, you know, big power brokers at at college athletic departments. It's probably more for them, but I always wonder about stuff like that when uh, an entity like this is 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 struggling the way that Oklahoma State basketball is. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, outside of of the schools that obviously have deep pockets, 
that you know money isn't really an issue in terms of recruiting budgets and and paying coaching staffs and and upgrading facilities on a regular basis outside of those places how many how many schools are there in college basketball that can afford to buy out like a bad contract for example oh i know yeah and how many and how many athletic directors think that the the attention on college basketball warrants doing that that's another great question because it's probably like everybody could agree that maybe there's a failing product but if you're going to have to pay a bunch of money to correct the course but you don't have a ton of people that are paying attention to it anyway like you know why are you why are you making it harder on yourself in all these other areas well, I will say to my original Write question out, right? about people, you know, d- does it encourage you to donate more when you've got a program that's either doing well or a program that's doing poorly? I mean, I think the example that we have is in specifically talking about Oklahoma State is is that you know your biggest donor, your biggest donations have come from times in which you've started to become at least show signs, and then just someone says, "All right, I want this to be yep. an absolute game changer. Here's X amount of money." You know, like T Boone did. Um, with, Positive momentum is always going to yeah. generate more. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, we've got to take a timeout. That is Jeremy Poplin. I'm Colby Daniels. Scott File on the other side of the glass in the Tulsa Oilers hockey studio. We have a snack coming up in the four o'clock hour. Colin Kennedy will join us in the five o'clock hour, and we will take a timeout. You're listening to the show on the Blitz 1170, and we are streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.